Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. Today is Wednesday, September 16th, and I told you we'd have two shows in a row. I, I don't know what's come. Well, I know what's come over me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, we've got a little bit of news before our interview for this week. Uh, in today's news, Billy Thorpe was picked for Team USA. In other news, water is wet. I, mean, I think everybody knew that Billy was going to be picked, and Personally, I'd be shocked if Tyler was not picked as the fifth player, but that's just me. Uh, in other news, the old school shootout happened last week with Johnny and Earl getting together to raise money for Tommy Kennedy. Uh, Johnny won that match. It was a race to 30. Johnny won at 30 to 28. Most importantly, Almost $5,000 was raised for Tommy Kennedy. Uh, the videos from that event, there's three different ones, are up on the AZBTV YouTube channel, youtube.com slash AZBTV. You, you knew that was there, right? Uh, a real quick aside when it comes to that channel, we posted some videos uh, a week or two ago and really got some complaints from people talking about the number of ads that were being shown in the middle of the video. And at the beginning, I just looked at it and said, okay, people are just complaining to hear their voice. It happens. Uh, finally, after a number of them, I went in and looked and it was awful. I'm not sure how the default setting got set to include videos in the or ads in the middle of the video, but it was really packed. So the good news is I went through probably the last hundred or so uploads and removed any ads for the middle of videos. And if you don't go to the YouTube channel, well, if you don't go to the YouTube channel, shame on you, but for the people who do go to the YouTube channel and, and who enjoy that sort of thing, uh, I apologize for those, uh, those ads being where they were. It was completely out of control. Uh, in other news, tours are starting to get back into business. Uh, 21 players in New Jersey for the Garden State Pool Tour stop. That was won by Kevin Scalzidi. I might have butchered that name. Uh, more importantly, 71 players in Maryland for the Nine Ball Fall Shootout. That was what we refer to as an independent event, just because it isn't tied to any tour, but it's tied to Loy Balliard with On the Hill Productions. And honestly, the events that he runs is almost like a tour in itself. He's got that kind of support. It was nice to have online brackets for the event, a link to the stream. Irwin was there taking pictures. I mean, it was it was everything that we could ask for in helping to cover a tournament. In other uh, tournaments, we talked about the big $1,000 entry event in Ada, Oklahoma. I don't have a whole lot of details on that. I know Rick Stanley won, but I don't know a whole lot else. This week, I don't see a lot coming up. I see the J.P. Chower Northeast Women's Tour. They're having a stop, but so part of the part of the problem with the calendar was knowing which events that were on the calendar were still happening and which ones weren't. Uh, the J.P. Nude event is definitely happening. In online pool news, which is virtual tournaments playing the ghost, I, I understand. You know it. When you describe it that way, it, it interests me about as much as trick shots. But honestly, you know, the people who are doing this are doing a bang up job. I mean, they're really doing a great job. And one of the big ones is One Sports TV. They have their One Pool Women's Cup, September 21st through the 27th. Now, the last update I saw on that event, uh, Jasmine Ushan was one of the players in it. And the other three I wasn't really familiar with. I'm sure they're going to announce more. And I'll include a link in the show notes to the page on Facebook for uh, that particular event. In other news, hey, you know what? I did two shows in a row, so I'm allowed to get back up on my soapbox. And that's where I'm going. Um, saw last night that an event was scheduled January 6th through the 10th in Birmingham, Alabama. $10,000 added. 5,000 added one pocket, 5,000 added nine ball. That is fantastic. Great event for the players to enjoy going to. 
unless they were thinking about going to Turning Stone that week, which has been on the schedule since the Stone Age. Or maybe they wanted to go to the World Nine Ball Championship, which Matchroom has already announced they were having that week. I don't understand how it is that we can have these tournaments scheduled with no attention being paid to what might already be scheduled out there. Look at what Daniel Bush does out on the West Coast. Uh, Daniel Bush with POV Pool. He puts together that West Coast swing. You have events lined up room after room. And when you've got four or five high dollar, you know, let's say there were four or five $10,000 added events in four or five different states, and they were just scheduled one right after the other, just like Daniel does on the West Coast. How did the chances change between getting the top player for one $10,000 added event or getting the top players who are traveling from state to state in four or five different $10,000 added events? That's where the players come to. You want the best players in the world? Work together. It, it, it's... I just don't understand the concept. And this is something that gets touched on briefly in this week's interview with Emily when she talks about what happened with Super Billiards Expo and that scheduling snafu. Again, one central location to look for tournaments that are on the schedule. I've suggested AZ Billiards. Well, of course I've suggested AZ Billiards. That's what I'm going to do. It doesn't have to be AZ Billiards. It can be any site out there. We just need one that's agreed on by everybody. But this is a conversation that we've had many times in the past, and I'm sure we're going to have it many times in the future. So let's move on to this week's interview. I had a very long conversation with Emily Frazier from Matchroom Multisport. We talked about a number of things. It's a long interview, but I think it's worth the time. It's almost an hour. I think it's worth the time to spend to listen to everything Emily has to say. She has a vision for this game. And if we can get halfway to that vision, I think we're going to be doing an outstanding job. So with that being said, without any further ado, I give you Emily Frazier. <laughs> I'm very proud now to be joined by the managing director of Matchroom Multisports, Emily Frazier. Emily, how, how are things on, on your side of the world? On my side of the pond, well, it's pretty crazy, I'm not going to lie, but uh, thank you for having me and it's great to uh, speak to you, Mike. I'm, just, uh, I'm actually at um, MK Arena for the build of our Championship League snooker event. So we've got that starting on sa Sunday. Um, so, yeah, all systems go really for us. It's like we're, we're back into the, the mix of it and doing exactly what we love to do, um, which is back-to-back -back events. For the, for the World Snooker Championship, there were fans allowed in the first day and then they weren't allowed in until the last day. Is that right? Yes, uh, unfortunately, I was I was there on that day, and it was it was such a horrible day for everyone involved. Really, um, so much planning and organisation had gone into allowing spectators into the venue. Um, all of you know the rules and regulations had been approved by the government, um, and then all of a sudden there was a, a spike in cases, and a decision had obviously been made by the UK government um, to cancel any test pilot events for spectators um, attending live sporting events and obviously that included the World Snoop Championship um, which was distraught really uh, you know we had one day of fans and then all of a sudden um, it went to behind closed doors and then managed to have the final um, the final two days open spectators so it just goes to show that no matter what you do no matter what you plan You've always got to have something in your back in the back of the mind, you know, just saying it's not quite a hundred percent until you're sort of there, and you just got to make sure that you've got every contingency in place, really. And just it's just still such unknown and uncertain times right now. All we have to do is try to uh, stay upbeat and positive, and and just hope and aim in the right direction. 
What are the plans as far as spectators for this event that you're preparing for now? So Championship League Snooker, we've been running for quite a long time now. Um, it's always been behind closed doors, never open spectators. So quite a straightforward one for us. Um, what was different is that we we actually produced the event in June. Um, we were the first live sport here in the UK since uh, the, the pandemic and the lockdown. And it was so successful. You know, we were peaking at 600,000 viewers on um, ITV4 here in the UK and, um, you know, in the millions across Europe and in China. And it was just such a successful tournament. We tweaked the format slightly. Um, the players were great to be back after being in lockdown for so long. Um, and we kind of looked at it and said, OK, that was really successful. Let's maybe do another one. Um, whilst the snooker season is kind of, it was a bit bare, um, but now we've got 21 days of live snooker for this event to add into the calendar, which bulks it up for obviously the players on the tour here. Um, and we've increased, increased the event to a, a ranking event as well for the World Snooker Tour. So every silver lining to these situations, which means that we've come through with a, a revamped event as such. You know, talking about snooker, at least in the States, which is the, the background that I have looking at the game, you know, it, snooker is seen as very professional, not just in the manner in which it's played, but in the organization. And, you know, you talk about seasons and and that sort of thing. Is is that kind of the goal that you're looking at for American Pool, or do you not think that's possible? I think that we should take every step um, at a time, and we shouldn't rush into things. Um, obviously, a huge passion of mine is pool. Um, so I want to see it progress. I want to see it develop and I want to see it evolve. The only way we can do that is to actually develop a tour for pool, um, especially over in the United States. So that's always in the back of my mind and I probably won't stop until I've achieved it. Um, but like I said, slowly but surely, we only have five events on our matchroom pool roster. Um, and, you know, there's others that are circulating the calendar, um, which are still world class events um, as such. So we we need to keep building. We need to generate more tournaments, more events. But unfortunately, there isn't any money in pool. Um, there's no big sponsorships coming in because there's no viewership. There's no um, record breaking audience figures like that we're seeing um in some of our other sports that we're we're promoting um i mentioned the viewing figures for the championship league that we did in june unfortunately with the way that paul is sometimes there's so many illegal streams and there's so many various ways um and channels that some of the events are seen on and what we're trying to do is we're trying to first of all professionalize the athletes um, at the moment, you know, pool players, especially to the big worldwide sponsors, are portrayed as gamblers and perhaps a little bit on the uh, crooked side when it comes to um, gambling in matches, for instance. And it took snooker a real long time to straighten all of that out when it comes to betting. And we're trying to professionalise the athletes in our pool events and certainly our five matchroom pool events. You know, it's just even how they dress, how they act or how they promote themselves on social media. That's what we're trying to do. But there's only so much we can do. Obviously, we are pool promoters at the end of the day and we're the best in the business. But we also uh, dive into six other sports. And, you know, there's only a small team of us. But like I said, it's it's a real strong passion of mine um, to develop and evolve this sport. And I'm I say it's a sport because it is a sport and we do have these world-class athletes, but they are just unfortunately not portrayed like these professional athletes in comparison to the snooker. And it can be so frustrating, but all we need to keep doing is just to keep um, working hard, working relentlessly to remind the players and to be creative on our events. How do we make it more enjoyable to a casual sports fan? It's all well and good 
players promoting to some of their fans. But unless we grow the nine ball pool audience, we will not grow the sport. So we need to make these events appeal to a casual sports fan. We need to make sure that they stay tuned in. So we have to just always be keeping on our toes. We can't be complacent. Obviously, it's very uncertain and tough times at the moment. Um, a lot of our events got cancelled and rescheduled, but we're trying to remain, again, hopeful and positive and utilising this time that we actually do have as a benefit and trying to stay and remain um, creative in what we can do when we can finally get Paul back on the TV. Well, I think there's a lot of people here in the States that will be very happy to hear what what your goals are. But, you know, like you had said, that it's it's not easy sometimes to get the American pool player to embrace the game like like the snooker players have. And, and, and you mentioned that, you know, it was kind of a, a little bit of a battle to get there with snooker. Have you... Have you been surprised by the amount of pushback that you've gotten as far as trying to rehabilitate the image of nine ball players, or did you expect that? I don't think we get too much of a pushback from the players as such. Um, I think it's, it's going to sound terrible, but I don't think people and players and fans actually realize how important this image is. Um, all everyone keeps saying is, now up the prize money, get more people in there. But at the end of the day, we can't sell these events to big-time sponsors, big-time brands, unless we professionalise these athletes. And I don't. I only think that a few players actually understand this. Um, we're meant to be sparking and inspiring the younger generation. Um, we're meant to be professionalising the image of the players. And we're trying to do everything we can from we literally write a how to guide for all of the players that have so far signed up um, as Mo on the Moscone Cup. And they have a how to guide of how to set up a Twitter account. And we've actually set them up for them and then told them what they need to do and how to follow it through. So we're trying. But also the onus comes on to the players. And OK, yeah, there is probably a bit of a pushback because not out of um, laziness or anything like that. I just think it's just a lack of understanding how important these things are. You know, it's it's all well and good us trying to sell to a, a big main uh, mainstream brand of these events. But when these, what happens is, is these um, brands go on to social media. It's all about social media and digital media these days. Things go viral. You know, look how big time YouTubers get now. And I feel like Paul has really, really taken. It's just in its sort of old school days where we haven't taken any of this on board. We're trying to do this and we're trying to generate more social media and more content, more talk um, throughout our events by having, you know, the hashtags. But I don't think the players understand the importance of everyone talking about events and people jumping on the bandwagon and tuning in because they've heard through um, the grapevine about this Moscone Cup event um, where, you know, one of the players has jumped on top of the table or something like that because a, a social clip has gone viral. These, these clips are so important and the players' profiles are so important and that's why we're trying to professionalise their image and trying to teach and guide them on what they should be posting and how they should be inspiring the younger generation for them to turn around and go, I want to be a pool player. I don't think that you get those that many kids out there that go, oh, that looks cool. I want to be a pool player. You're looking at more people going to the pool halls and having fun and, you know, having a few drinks and things like that. We want to spark this in the younger generation of them saying, I can actually earn a career here. But we don't have that in pool right now. And there's, we can't just keep adding zeros to our um, prize funds for each event because the thing is we're not generating any income in order to do that. We can't add prize money unless we pull in big, big brands. But 
Um, and fortunately enough, because we're a big um, main promoter, uh, we have the boxing, we have the darts, we have the snooker. We're quite a well-established brand here and we can pull in big sponsors. Um, but we need we need a great product at the end of the day, which we have. But we also need these social media um, profiles and images of these players. And you, you, you talk about, say, Shane Van Boning, who's one of the greatest players in, in America right now. He doesn't have a Twitter account. And I've said this before um, on on social media, and I think I, I think I got a little bit of hate for it. But we're trying to um, sell these athletes, and we're trying to sell these events, but there's no following of them. All they they have maybe is a few Facebook friends, and but they have no official Instagram accounts. So, and like it or not, the day that the the current year and the current day that we are in. These events revolve around social media. And this is what we really need to be working on. Um, training videos. And it takes a lot of work. But I believe it. It really does. But we've got a time at the moment where there's not many tournaments. Well, there's no tournaments happening. There's a lot of practicing going on. You've got some downtime to create your accounts and go, right, OK, so what can I do? And and then all of a sudden when the tour starts back again and um, players are traveling, then all of a sudden they can start logging their journey and they can start inspiring the younger generation to follow in, in their footsteps. And we're only going to be able to do that if we all just really relentlessly work hard together and build this brand. There are only so many Facebook friends that the players all have, and it's the same group of people. What we need to do is we need to expand. We need to evolve. Even things like the US Open, it's a fantastic event. We've only done one year so far. I, I would still say that we smashed it out of the park. There are so many things that went wrong with it, and there are so many things we need to improve on. But the, <laughs> the key conversations that we're having now as the promoter is to say, okay, well, how do we evolve and how do we expand this event? Okay, well, we stage the event next to an amateur event alongside one of our big partners like Diamond. So why have we not thought of that before? Well, it takes us one event to, you know, get our heads around it and realize what we need to do. But they're the conversations that we're having because we want to see the events evolve. And we want some people, I bet if you did a poll um, that was at one of the biggest amateur events um, in Paul, uh, say if Vegas was open, there's a huge amateur event. I bet if we sent a few people around with um, a poll saying, do you know what the Moscone Cup is? I, it sounds horrible and I hate to say it, but I think more people wouldn't know what it is than they do. Than they do. Because I don't think that the, the amateur players and the players who go and have fun actually know about these professional events. And I don't think they realise how exciting and how big they are. And we can use things like the, the US Open as a stepping stone because we're pulling in. It's, a, it's an open event. Anyone can play it. And it's fantastic that you get some of these players that go, oh, I want to draw against Shane Van Boning. And it's, it's fantastic that we picked up an event like the US Open. So we just need to keep being creative. And we obviously we have so many goals and so many aims, but we also need everyone to kind of believe and trust in us but to work with us as well and that includes the players i completely understand the the vision of you know every player having a a positive social media influence out there how do you how do you deal with the players who you know, kind of march to the beat of their own drum. You know, the Ronnie Sullivans of the world. The, you know, we. I could mention names of American players, but really, we don't need to. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you make those players a part of this? Well, you don't need to because they're they're the celebrities themselves. Ronnie O'Sullivan creates it himself. He. He will um, run interviews that may be quite controversial and he may say things that people like or dislike, but he's 
he's getting involved in it and he's getting involved in the media. He still has his Twitter accounts. He still has his Instagram accounts and he's involved and he's got himself in the, in the public domain. So even though he might be saying some controversial things, I, I just love that if anyone's talking about our event, whether it's good or bad, I love it because at the end of the day, it's one new person that is tuned in and it's one more viewer that adds on to our uh, viewing figures at the end of the event. So, you know, sometimes we make we may make some controversial decisions. Uh, I think I went off on a Twitter rant not too long ago and um, I didn't realise how many <laughs> how many comments it, it would kind of spark. But at the end of the day, we one Monday everyone was talking about the Moscone Cup. Everyone was. And so it's just, we, we all need to be in amongst the media and we all need to, to be talking about things. We all need to have those social accounts. So it's not about getting the players in line and getting them in check. It's about everyone understanding how important social media is. I'm not saying that you have to be just there and posting you at the table playing all the time but it's it's posting your career it's posting your journey it's allowing people to follow your process and um, but also professionalize it slightly you know at our events we allow um, players to come on board and bring in their own personal sponsors nine times out of ten not all of the players fill all of those sponsorship spots which shows me that there are not there's not enough brands out there and also the players aren't getting the sponsors. So there's all these opportunities where they can turn around and say, I've made the Moscone cut. I can get you a, a patch on my shirt. And we're and it's going to be live on DAZN in the US, live on Sky Sports. And it gets this amount of viewing figures. Well, I'm doing all of this social media. My following is 20,000 on Twitter or 10,000 on Instagram. And I can get you this exposure and I can make X amount of money from this sponsorship. But that they're not the conversations that are, that are having at the moment with the players. But in all of our other sports, that's exactly what is happening. And it, Paul's not the only one. We have some of our other sports like fishing, um, maybe sort of netball, basketball, which are slightly behind as well. Um, so it's just about trying to guide the players and the athletes on what they should be doing. It's not a case of trying to keep them in check. And um, it, I just think there's such a, a terrible uh, view on some players. I think sometimes it's more about Facebook lives being sort of drunk and, and things like that. That's not what the younger generation wants to be inspired to, to become. Um, so it, it is more of a case of just helping everyone understand what we're after. Um, Everyone wants to know the personalities of these players. That's that's the thing. We have a, the beauty of, of Paul. We have such a mixture and a variety of players. Look at last year's Moscone Cup team. You've got five super individual players from the US. They all bring something entirely different to the team. And it's great that you have those five different personalities. Everyone wants to know about them. Everyone wants to know what they're thinking and that's that's what we're doing in our post-match interviews and our social media interviews all of these zoom calls that are happening at the moment every player that gets announced with the Moscone Cup it's a one-on-one -on -one, um, interview to hear the players thoughts that's what everyone wants to be hearing they want to know what the player's thinking and so all of these little things that we're doing at the moment where no tournaments are happening we're trying to drive content we're trying to get more interviews out there it's just all it's doing is building the brand and building the players' um, images. In, in the couple of years that you've been in the position, there's a lot that has happened with Matchroom and American Pool. You guys obtained the U.S. Open, uh, you obtained the World Nine Ball Championship. You know, Matchroom has always been there, and Moscone Cup has always been the biggest draw that Matchroom had. At least that was the impression here in the States. You know, there was always conversation about Moscone Cup and who's going to make the team. But, you know, I can hear an enthusiasm in your voice that 
maybe hadn't been there for a little while. Um, I mean, and I don't mean this in the wrong way. It just, you know, there, there's a whole new uh, enthusiasm coming from what you guys are doing. Is that, is that your doing? Were you the catalyst for, for uh, pushing to obtain these events? Or was this the plan all along? I think, um, obviously, I've been at Matchroom for 10 years now. I've been here for a little while. Um, I was in the TV department for uh, five of those years. So um, I would work on on the other sports. Um, I obviously always saw what special events that was what they were called at the time, what we were called at the time, were doing. and And I loved seeing some of those events. And I I worked on uh, the World Cup of pool when I was in the TV department. I'd sort of record player interviews and things like that. So obviously I was in a very different job role. Um, But my background is in TV production. So that's where I was kind of born and raised as such. Um, Where we are right now, we have the strongest team that we've ever had at Matchroom Multisport and Matchroom Pool, which has sort of developed over the years. Um, Obviously, who we have here is every single person is passionate about the events we do. Every single person is passionate about their job. Um, Whether that drives through me, I don't know, but it also drives through every individual that we have in this team. And we have such a solid, strong team. of. Again, it's probably similar to what I just said about the Team USA. Uh, different individuals that all bring something totally different to each event. Um, I don't think it's a secret as to how passionate I am. Um, obviously, it's it, it's quite apparent in the pool um, industry and, and it comes through in our pool events. I think the last few years, I've, also, I've obviously looked at the pool. I have a very strong passion for it. And it's something that, again, I want to drive. I want to evolve. Um, and I think I, I think I can be the queen of pool, to be completely honest. But, um, or jokes aside, we have a very strong team here that is committed to evolving pool, but only because we see the potential. We see the potential that this sport has. And so we're not going to stop working hard um, because we want to be the ones that want to you know, take it on. We want to be the ones to change it. Yeah, the Moscone Cup has always been in the, you know, in the forefront of being the best event on the pool calendar. It's always had this fun, exciting atmosphere. Um, It's obviously evolved even more so over the last couple of years. I think one of my main aims for the Moscone Cup is that we never, ever do the same seating drawing twice. So no matter whether we're in London or we're in the UK, we always have to increase our seating. And that's the only way we need to, we have to grow the Moscone Cup. So I think my first event was Tropicana in Vegas or Blackpool. That was my first ever um, Moscone Cup. And each year, I always said to myself, right, got to whack another couple of hundred on. You've got to keep adding on. We've got to keep building the atmosphere. Um, obviously, the last few years we've acquired the US Open. Um, that was part of the plan to evolve the matchroom pool portfolio. Because at the end of the day, we we are the ones that have the resources um, and and the drive to grow the sport. We can't do that with just the Moscone Cup, the World Pool Masters, and the World Cup of Pool. We can't do it with just those three events. We need more. So that's why. Eyes are set on the US Open. We acquired that. World Pool Championship. It's the, it's the biggest event um, in the sport. And it's the, it's the World Championship. And we're the, we're the, the drivers for the sport. So we, it should be in our portfolio. So the aim is to work on the events we have because we can't neglect them. We must stay creative and we must build and develop the events we have. But we also need to build our portfolio. We need more events on the calendar. We need a tour. Um, But again, it's one step at a time, which we need to find that healthy balance of being able to stay on track with what we've got, but also looking at new opportunities, new avenues um, with 
the current situation of the global pandemic. It's opened up a few potential ideas for a new pool event that we could be looking at for next year. Um, so there's always, I just think with every bad cloud, there's always a silver lining. Um, so again, I think a lot of, there is a lot of passion within our team. Um, I, I am probably, I work, well, I just live and breathe work. So, um, and it's probably, <laughs> probably surrounded by the same people. So, um, it was kind of, you know, the last five years have been sort of like an uphill battle as such. But I think we're strong. We we know what direction we want to go in, and we don't we don't um, set ourselves silly targets or empty promises. We're going to deliver on what we say we're going to deliver on. And part of the plan, uh, back in January, you launched the the world rankings list. How does that fit into this, and how do you see? How do the the bigger events in the states become a part of that? Well, one thing that always drove me a little bit crazy was the selection process for some of our events. Um, obviously, like I said, when I first got involved, um, it was uh, it took me a few years to just see what was happening and learn what was going on and learn about the industry um, because you know I had no involvement in Paul. I, I did I didn't even. I didn't even particularly like it. I'm not going to lie to you. I think when I first joined Matchroom, um, I didn't really have any uh, love for any sports, to be to be honest with you. Um, so that's kind of developed over the years. And so it took a while to, to learn what was happening. And you kind of saw that selections were happening on a bit of favouritism, um, a bit of friends here and there. And it. I just think if we're trying to professionalise the sport, which is my number one goal, then we need to put that aside and we need to actually come up with a with a proper a rankings list as to these players should be, they should be going, travelling around the tour and they should be earning their places in the biggest events on the calendar because they are travelling around and they are committed Um and they, they should they should have that on merit. So that was the thinking, the thought process behind it. Players shouldn't just get picked because you know they're friends with someone or um, they won one tourn- one big tournament as such. There's players that grind every tournament and they they travel back to back. They might not see their friends or their families, but um, they buy into everything and they are just grinding it out every day. And if they um, you know, do well in a few tournaments, they should they should be rewarded for that. And so, again, we only have five um, events under our belt. And the, the thought process was it's the world, you know, the Whirlpool Masters. It was a 16 man invitational event for years. It was just it was pretty much just this invitational um of, of players but now it, sh- it should be the 24 best players in the world and it's kind of having a selection process you know the Moscone Cup MVP gets in and we should be trying to link all of our events together into one brand as Matchroom Paul that's what we should be doing to evolve the sport um, working with other promoters you know we've got great promoters like CSI um, who are obviously very committed to um, you know, trying to, to do what we're doing, and that's that's build the sport. So there are other events on the calendar that we incorporate into our, our rankings list, um, and we should be rewarding the right points for the right prize money that's involved, and we should be rewarding those players who are committed and who are grinding. So the, the thought behind the world rankings was just, you know, it's an overall bigger picture for the Matchroom Pool brand. It's the bigger picture to evolve the sport. Um, and let's try and get some more events under our umbrella. And let's make sure that the promoters are also doing right. I just mentioned CSI. You know, they're fantastic. They, they, they put on world-class events, organized really, really well. And, and they're a great team. But then you do have other promoters who 
a shaft in some of the players and you know they might they might um you know make a few cuts here and there in order to make the minimum prize money and and I, I noticed that well I say I noticed Nick Till in our team very very good when it comes to formats and ranking points and um the rest of the pool calendar um Nick's like my right hand man when it comes to things like that and he basically looked at the the ranking points from he took it on the last couple of years for Team Europe and we noticed that some events were just on the calendar for the sake of it. But what we should be doing is we should be helping and guiding these promoters as to how the events should be um, promoted, how they should be staged. But also there should be a minimum prize fund. We shouldn't be making these players travel to and from and grinding events for such a low prize money. Um, so, And what we're effectively doing by having more ranking events or more established ranking events on our Moscone Cup calendar, we are um, encouraging the players to play in these other events. So then there's another stepping stone. Why do we do ranking points for Team Europe, but not Team USA? And it's been a question that I've been asking and bashing on the door for so long. And the, the answer was always that it just never really worked for Team USA. But screw that let's make sure that it works like let's not do something just because it doesn't work let's bloody do it and it, if it means it's a little bit harder and it's a bit more work then so be it let's we all love a challenge so uh, I think it, I want to say it was like 18 months ago we sat down and went okay let's do some let's get some ranking events for Team USA obviously um <laughs> We tried to do it for this year and it all gone tits up um, for, for the, obviously the current situation. But the, the thought process was there. Um, but what we want to try and build on is we want to encourage more promoters in the United States. Because at the moment, there's not enough professional events on the calendar in the States. So what we need to do is we need to encourage the USA players to be traveling to these different events and to be grinding and to earn their spot onto the Moscone Cup team. But also they might be able to earn their spot into the Whirlpool Masters. The top two Americans on the world rankings for matching pool could earn their spot onto the World Cup of pool. So all of a sudden, something that an event where it was five wildcard picks from a, a captain um, that all got put into place one week before the event in December, it's all of a sudden a year talking point. And now all of a sudden we're growing other events on the calendar that aren't matchroom pool, but other promoters. The more we, the more buy-ins they generate, the more sponsorship they get because bigger name players are there, then the better they, they get. We want other promoters to be successful because if they're successful, so are we. We get more events. I would love just more pool events. That's all I want. So the, that was that was the thought process behind. I think it started with the rankings for Team Europe and Team USA. And then it, the, the discussion, you know, what we do in our multi-sport office. And that's why I say we're so strong at the moment. And all we're going to do is become stronger. We've just employed two new people as well. We're such a good, solid team right now. But we'll sit there and we'll have a discussion about it. And then all of a sudden, uh, one talking point for just Team USA ranking points that was meant to last 10 minutes has all of a sudden taken a full day. And we've just established the Matchroom Pool World Rankings. So that's kind of how things develop because, you know, we sit down, we're passionate um, and we want to evolve the sport. We want to generate younger players for the Moscone Cup generate a more competitive event I think during my time there was the worst event I've ever done and sorry I'm rabbiting on here Mike but it was, <laughs> it was the 2017 Moscone Cup in Las Vegas um, at Mandalay Bay and I think uh, it was after match two on day one the team was Shane, Skylar, Billy, um, uh, Dennis Hatch, and someone else. Um, oh, it was uh, Oscar Dominguez. Okay. And on Team USA. And match two's finished, and this, the producer for the show has walked into the office and just looked at me 
and shook his head. And I sat there and I just got my head in my hands in my office, haven't slept, haven't eaten, probably drunken, shed loads of coffee. <laughs> and he looks at me like this is just what is going on. And I couldn't even bring myself into the arena to watch because it was, and like you said earlier, you can hear the passion in my voice. It was genuinely the most heartbreaking thing watching that USA team just admit defeat throughout that entire event. And I felt that no one really, there was no love for it. Everyone was turning up for their appearance fee. And it, it wasn't the best event on the calendar. And we sort of sat there and thought, well, what are we going to do next year? We're, you know, we need to do something because, again, how are we going to get audience viewing figures if the if the competition isn't um, competitive? Right. How's that going to happen? So although it's, you know, all, all fun and games that one one team gets spanked as such and, you know, it's an 11 nil victory. That is not good viewership. We need it to be competitive. We need the. The, the matches to go all the way. We need it to to be the best players in the world. But the Moscone Cup hasn't been that for a little while because it's been selections and things like that. You know, Shane's stats sort of said it all, that he, he's never really been successful in the Moscone Cup prior to the last two years. But the goal that we've been doing and been working on, and, you know, Jeremy Jones has been fantastic for it. It's the... The atmosphere and um, the friendship and the team dynamic, and that hasn't been worked on for a real long time, and it's something that we've finally gotten hold of. Um, and now the event can finally be competitive. And again, that was the whole thought process for the rankings for Team USA and Team Europe. There's been so many small events on the Team Europe rankings that I actually felt sorry for some of the the European players that they had to go and grind for such low prize money. So one thing that we're really looking and focusing on during this sort of time where we don't actually have live sport on is to reestablish these events and make sure that this calendar is good enough for the players. Because again, you know, I moan to the players that they should be posting on social media and I'm moaning to them, they should be doing this and that. But at the end of the day, we should also be setting the stage for them. This is their career. And, and we should be working our absolute bollocks off to, to get them as, you know, as successful as they possibly can be. I feel sorry for any players who are kind of getting to the end of their poor career right now um, because the ones who are just coming through and they're just sort of breaking the barrier, you know, your fillers, your Skylar Woodward, they're at the prime opportunity because they're coming into the industry when I'm here and I'm going to absolutely just hit, hit the sky with it because the sky is the limit um, and we're going to push and we're going to evolve this sport and this is the prime time for it. I, I have to comment. Mm. It's been... It's been the situation in the States for so long that promoters come in and go and yeah. the whole idea is I need to grab the biggest piece of the pie that I can possibly get. And I haven't heard, I've probably heard more enthusiasm for growing the sport in the last 40 minutes than I have in the last four years. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> it was definitely meant that way. The thing is, is that we obviously preach that we're the best promoters and all of that. That's obviously, that's just the way that we are um, and probably the way that I am. But also, I love working with other people and other organisations because at the end of the day, I am I like to think I'm quite smart. I know that we can't just do this on our own. So, why did, like, we connected with the BCA to try and work on this junior um, US Open. I know that a, f a few people, it, there was a lot of negative comments as to how we picked the juniors. But again, we, we launched something that, you know, was positive for, for the industry, for the juniors. I mean, what other event do you get where 
you can get two pretty much places into the next year's US Open for a thousand dollar entry um, for, for junior players. What a fantastic opportunity for them. So we're more than happy to open the door and speak to others in the industry and work together with them. We also need to be the top of our game. We need to ensure that we're delivering the best package. We need to ensure we're we're always driving and we're working hard. So we, we obviously like to pick and choose who we work with, but we're not all us, you know, I, 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 and we're just doing this on our own. I would love to hear, you know, I think it's um, Alison Fisher's been uh, messaging me quite a lot recently. And she messaged me, she said, oh, you know, we need to work on women in pool. And, and I've obviously been very, very... Um, open about my thoughts on women in sport I have quite an overall view of it I like to think if you if you think you're the best then you're the best amongst the the boys and the girls if I want to prove I'm the best I want to beat all of the guys and I want to beat all of the girls but that's obviously how (laughs) I kind of perceive things so opening the US Open and having both female and male opening the World Pool Championship and having both female and male I will always ensure that the females have an opportunity to actually participate in the event. So there's none of this, oh, you know, entry spaces were taken up. I will put aside entry spaces for women to participate. So it's a little bit difficult because there's no viewing figures that are, or any general, we're not generating um, any feedback that women only events, you know, are, are successful as such. So we should be opening it to both. Um, but for instance, Alison Fisher, she messages and says, you know, what can we do? What should we be doing? Um, and I said to her, look, just when you're free, you tell me the time, the date, and I will sit down and I will chat with you for however long it takes. Let's brainstorm some ideas. What can we do? I'm more than happy to sit down with anyone, brainstorm, let's talk. How do we evolve? So it's not about just us and us on our own. Let's work together with other companies. You know, we work very closely with Predator and with CSI, who obviously are staging other events as well. But let's work with them. Let's all work together. And I said it um, on our last off the rail for Matron Pool. There's, there was a time where all of the major events on the pool calendar were all clashing with one another. And I'll hold my hands up. Last year's US Open, it's, it's a little bit difficult because our calendar, we can't clash with our fishing event, our netball event, because we're only one team. So we, we can't just sit there and go, right, pool calendar, let's go here. We have to think of our TV schedule, our own matching schedule. Then we also have to think about the snooker because we shouldn't clash with other big Q sports. You know, that would be silly of us. Then we also can't clash with the darts. It's the same audience as us. So we've got all of that to think of. And then we go, OK, pool calendar. Um, so there were times when we were clashing with our own big sporting events and I took that on the chin last year. We suffered big time by clashing with Super Billiards Expo. That wasn't on purpose. That was just, you know, the luck of the draw. And also we weren't in communication. We just, none of us were in communication, but now I've started up a thread on email. All of the main promoters all have our schedules and our calendars and we all share our dates together there's no secret about it um and we're all trying to work together we understand that at this time of the year and the current situation things are unavoidable thing is is that we're communicating we're all talking because the end goal is again more calendar more pool events on the calendar don't clash with other major sports other events because that's not going to help the players we want them to be going back to back traveling from event to event if it were up to me, I would live out of a suitcase and have um, a matchroom multi-sport event every week of the calendar year. Um, <laughs> that doesn't bother me at all. So I'm still young, I like to think. Um, and and that, that would be fantastic. But so that's what we're trying to do. We're all trying, we should all be working together um, with one another. Like I mentioned to you about like an amateur event alongside of a diamond that was a great idea that's come from Chad. And that's something that I would really like to push forward if we can obviously try and do that with, for the US Open. If we can't do it next year because of the current climate, then it's in place. We're not going anywhere. 
um, unless all of a sudden um, I mar- I win the lottery and you know, <laughs> go and desert to a, an island on my own um, and decide to pack it all in. <laughs> Maybe, no, I'm joking. Um, we, yeah, we're not going anywhere. We've taken and we've acquired these new events on because we have a passion and we love this sport. So we don't have to all rush. You know, let's make each decision smartly and wisely and again we had to cancel some events this year but that was because we would have just rushed it um we wouldn't have had the most competitive matches we wouldn't have had the best players and we would have wasted an event and i and it i can't do that to the sport i can't waste an event if we deliver something we have to deliver it 12 out of 10 every time um and that's that's the direction we want to go in um, and that's what we're trying to do. And so for anyone that's listening that I haven't communicated with before, any promoters, organizers, sponsors, let's all work together. The the big topic right now is, is Moscone Cup. And, you know, you had mentioned earlier that you've always got to have a plan B and a plan C. Um, how How certain are you that... Moscone Cup is going to be able to go off the way that you would like it to? Um, Good question. I think no matter what happens, the event, like I said, we will always deliver it 12 out of 10. If we can't have a crowd, then we will still deliver it 12 out of 10 because we will be creative and we will think of ways that the crowd can engage um, and the event will have its atmosphere despite not being able to have a crowd. But the main focus, even though it is a lot of hard work, you know, we witnessed it for the World Snooker Championship, you can put in relentless hours and then all of a sudden day one, you can be told there's no spectators. I would, I'm more than happy to put in the work right now to just have one hour of spectators for the Moscone Cup. So the way that we see it is that we're working hard at new seating plans, we're working hard with the government and we're also talking with the government constantly, um, talking about new regulations, new boundaries we can push, testing um, and just what regulations are in place in order for us to get spectators in there. A little bit harder with the Moscone Cup audience and people need to understand that because the atmosphere is a lot more friendlier, a lot more um how do i say it drunker um (laughs) it's a little bit harder to maintain social distancing and things like that so it may be slightly easier to have an audience in for a snooker event than what it is for a darts or for a pool event so they're all factors that we really need to bear in mind um but we're not stepping our foot off the gas i i want spectators in there and i'm going to do everything I possibly can unless I'm genuinely told by the government that we can't we cannot we are aiming for spectators appreciate that a lot of people have booked travel booked accommodation and and we've kind of been obviously very quiet about the the situation but it's genuinely because we don't have a yes or no answer right now um what we are trying to do is trying to have a seating plan approved by the government um and to actually work with that because we have to maintain social distancing but also December it is still quite a while away things could have developed things could have got worse things could have got better um so yeah we have a plan through a all the way through to z um and whatever happens we're going to give it our all and the outcome will be how we want it to be um because we're not going to give up so I know it's kind of not the answer that everyone wants. Everyone just wants to know whether we can have fans or not. But to tell you the real hard-hitting truth, I don't know right now. And that is purely because of this current situation. We've got two two events coming up where we hope to have spectators. Our Champion of Champions snooker event in November and our Moscone Cup in December. So what we need to do is put measures into place in order to make sure that if the situation worsens and we have to go behind closed doors and, for instance, our championship league event in June was completely behind closed doors, but it was the first live sport back in the UK, 
well, let's make sure that there's a plan, you know, a T in place so we can do that. So we are thinking of everything. Um, we want the event to go ahead. We're not gone quiet because we're just trying to keep everyone, you know, just ticked along and we don't want to share any news. We are just genuinely trying to, I mean, I could make an announcement tomorrow and say, right, Moscone Cup's behind closed doors. There you go, everyone. There's your answer. And that would be the easy route out um, because there is still hope for us to have spectators. So let's plan for that avenue. Let's see if we can do it and let's try and deliver it. If not, <laughs> then we go to plan um, F. <laughs> but that's that's the overall view on it. Um, the whole aim for the beginning of lockdown is to be to try and be as transparent as possible to all the players, to all the fans. Um, but right now it is just still it is so uncertain for us and things can change in the matter of hours. And I firsthand experienced it, witnessed it. So we just need to be um, we just shouldn't make any brush decisions. Um, let's take each step at a time and and just try to deliver the event. And it's interesting that you say that you think, you know, the, the question that everyone wants answered is whether there will be fans at Moscone Cup. I like hearing that really the question is, will there be a Moscone Cup? And, and it sounds like there can be without four days of screaming fans. Yeah. I th do you know what? I've, I've watched darts behind closed doors. They've got the live crowd going in through the um, uh, through the TV. I've seen it happen. And and do you know what? We're we're bloody good at what we do. And if we can't have fans in there, we'll be able to um, deliver a very good product. And so yeah, there's unless you know we physically can't get the players into the country, which is something that we've we've worked on. Um, we have an international exemption here for sports, for elite sports persons. That's something that we're going through the process of all the players. So we're quite comfortable on that again, because we're in detailed and ongoing dis discussions with the government um, with all the events that we've got going on. So if we have fans, then let's, let's find a way around it. But again, our hope is in there. That's what we want. Honestly, going into this conversation, I didn't think I was going to be as excited for what the game could look like a year or two down the road as I am now. This was not this was not the conversation I expected to have. Well, you've never met me, Mike. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that now. Yeah, me too. No, I think Look, we've got a lot of plans in motion and we, we do have a lot of setbacks this year. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hide that. It's no secret. Um, but again, it's, it's not it's not scared us off and it's going to take a real long time before things get back into, you know, it's back to normality. And I don't think things ever will be. I think we've all experienced something that, you know, has changed our, our sort of generation and the way that events, live sporting events move forward is going to change. But I said it to you earlier, I like these situations where you have a silver cloud, a silver lining, sorry, um, because there's new ways of production that we've learned. There's ways that we can not spend as much money on production and put it into other areas that are needed right now. And we only learned that because of this situation and because of going into lockdown. And so that's what I'm positive about. I'm positive that we're going to come out of this with new ideas, innovative events. Um, and again, I feel like Matt Paul is too, we've kind of gone two years back now as to where I was hoping it was going to be in 2020 and 2021. That's okay. I had a little cry about it a few months back and I've kind of gotten over it. <laughs> you know, you sort of get upset about it and go, oh, you know, you're not where you, you want to be at. Um, but that's okay. You take it on the chin and all you can do is just look forward and, and see how we can develop and work for the future. So I'm excited and I'm glad you are too. <laughs> well, I definitely am. Emily, I appreciate the time that you spent with me today. Um, 
I, I appreciate the 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 energy and the enthusiasm that you bring to everything that you do. And I'm looking forward to seeing how Moscone Cup comes together and how things come together next year. Thank you. No pressure now. <laughs> All right. I'll let you get back to planning and I yeah. will talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Emily. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Emily. Uh, again, I, I found that all very interesting. And like I mentioned in that interview, uh, you take the, the enthusiasm that Emily has and the enthusiasm that people like Nate Mindham has, and I think the game has a, I'm not going to say a bright future, I'm going to say a brighter future than it does without those people in it. And speaking of Nate, nice seg there, Nate does the Cue It Up podcast, and believe it or not, Nate is my interview in the can for next week. So, uh, sit down for this three shows in a row. I can't believe it myself, but, you know, like I said, the new site, motivation, who knows what can happen. So, check in next Wednesday, and we will have that interview with Nate. I appreciate everybody listening this week, and Dave, we are always thinking about you. <laughs>